Welcome into NHL at the Rink, your weekly podcast covering all 31 teams, all the storylines. I'm Dan Rosen, co-host. I will start saying co-host now. Okay. Oh, promotion. Yes. Yeah. Sean Rourke to my right again gets the promotion to co-host. Sean, what's going on? I'm like the first line left wing now. Yeah. Well, I'll still be the center. All right. Yeah, of course. I'll still drive this thing. Okay. Uh-huh. I hear you. And then you. Yeah, but but we're definitely going to be looking at you. We're feeding your side. Okay. Awesome. All right. You're, and you're, we're we're in December already. It's almost time for Christmas. I know it's crazy, and we've got a lot of things to discuss. I'm a little disappointed though. You didn't bring in your great Thanksgiving dish that you talked about last week. I know, I lied. Yeah, you totally lied. I, I didn't. Did lie. I never said I was going to bring in the sweet potatoes with marshmallows. You did say you were going to bring in that awful, what uh, was it again? Christmas salad. Yeah. Ex- I'll bring it in for Christmas. Describe it again. It's uh, marshmallows, whipped cream, pineapples, and grapes. Please don't describe it ever again. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it just doesn't sound. The bowl was empty at the Rourke Thanksgiving. Well, I assume because you all like it. Yeah. But I, no, no thanks. Good Thanksgiving, though. Yes. Everything was good. All right. So lots to discuss, obviously, with a lot going on in the NHL. Let's get to the first storyline we're going to discuss. And it's the, the sensitive subject of Akeem Alou and the National Hockey League uh, with what's happened with Bill Peters now no longer the coach in Calgary and the allegations of racism from Bill Peters to Akeem Alou a number of years ago when they were in Rockford. Akeem Alou met with the NHL, met with Gary Bettman and Bill Daly on Tuesday, and a lot of positive things could be coming from this meeting and from this storyline, which is not a good one, but there is good to come from it that change could be made. I think it's the game is in a good place, but like society, there's always room for improvements. And that I think, you know, what's happened over the last week or two here, I think has illuminated that within the NHL circles. So the NHL released a statement, Alou released a statement, the NHL Coaches Association released a statement, and they all seem to be on board with this. Yeah, and look, the most important thing about change, about getting better at anything, is communicating what you need, what you want, what has to happen. And that's what's happening now. A lot of important people are talking openly about what they want the game to be where they want it to be how they're going to get there and only the only thing that can come from that is good when you communicate you get everything out there and you're able to move forward so it's a really interesting time I think in the NHL and in hockey in general but I think the one thing that we all need to remember is no matter what has happened and how ugly some of it has been hockey is a great game for a lot of people and it's going to change just like society is going to change, but the root the root that's there is good. And I think, you know, as we change, we all kind of need to remember that. Yeah, and if this leads to policies on harassment, discrimination, uh, protection for players who speak out, you know, so it's anonymous, uh, encouraging more diversity, I th- th- those are all terrific things. But let's not forget, the NHL a couple of years ago did have the declaration of principles and i think a number of these things to fall under that too perseverance integrity courage acceptance passion humility these were all covered under those so it's not like this has been buried in the sand and it's now just come to light it's just that i think like i said before it's just been illuminated further by what we have what is now coming to light and it's just furthering along a a conversation 
and a promotion, really, of Hockey is for Everyone that the NHL's been doing for a long time. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the lasting legacies of Pat LaFontaine's time here. He was kind of the guy that spearheaded that. But let's not forget that that was signed by almost every major hockey organization in North America and in Europe. I mean, it wasn't just an NHL thing. Everybody signed on to it. The the Canadian Junior Leagues, the AHL, uh, the IIHF. So it was a broad broad-based initiative, um, you know, that is going to bear fruit for a long time. Let's move on the ice. And the Toronto Maple Leafs continue to be a topic of conversation for us, for everybody around hockey. They did make the coaching change from Mike Babcock to Sheldon Keefe. And it seems that Keefe's honeymoon in Toronto lasted about three games, maybe four, you know. So they they go into Philadelphia. It's 1-1 with just a little over 10 minutes to go or 10 minutes to go. They give up a goal, and then they give up four more. And that's five goals against in the last 10 minutes. They lose 6-1. to one, And after the game, Austin Matthews basically says they quit. I was shocked when I heard the comment. They quit. They folded. I love the honesty. You know, from our perspective, you love the honesty as you get to write and talk about things like that. But, well, I mean, is do, do the Leafs have a bigger problem here that, that's just not solved with a coaching change? You, look, they got their coach fired by their performance. Right, they played that horrible game against Pittsburgh, against Pittsburgh that was six to one, and it was almost untenable after that. So I think there is, to a degree, an issue there where you you can't just turn caring and not caring on and off. Like it's part of your DNA. And I'll say with Matthews, good for him. He comes out and says it, but now he's got to back it up. Right, if that's not who you want to be and that's not what you want to be known for, go out and prove it on the ice. And and you know they they haven't. Since since that first three game winning streak under Keefe, they've kind of been a back and forth team. They can't score any goals. They've had three regu- regulation goals in their last three games, and they're physically being manhandled yes. by teams. When when you talk about their last two games, they played the Flyers, big, tough, rugged team that kind of put it to them in the last period, and then Colorado, you know, again a big, tough team that can skate and and going to grind you into the boards. And then think about the bugaboos that they've had in the past. Who are the Boston Bruins? They beat them every year in the playoffs. A big, tough, physical team. These teams are looking at the the Leafs down there like, wow, they're really talented, but 100%. let's just grind them into the wall. There, there's no fear. Like that, there's no fear when you're going into play Toronto. You're, I shouldn't say it. You're feared of their talent. Their talent is terrific. And we've had Mike Zeisberger on this podcast a couple of times, and he's touched on that. That this may be the most talented team that, in terms of pure talent for the Leafs that he's ever seen, and he's covered a lot of Leafs teams, but. They, they can get put, you can push them around. And I know this comes back to a team building philosophy from Kyle Dubas. And I get that. But if you, again, and I stress this again, you look at the teams that win, that win the Stanley Cup in this league. And, and frankly, the expectations for the Toronto Maple Leafs are getting to the point where they should be a Stanley Cup contender. And they're, they're not even coming close at this point. Those teams, the, the Blues, the, the, the Bruins, who are con- certainly contenders, uh, you know, the, the Capitals, the Penguins, the Kings, those teams were pushing other teams around. They were never getting pushed around. And I don't know how you change it because you, you, it, it's a massive change in philosophy if you're going to try to build a team that way again. But they're really stuck in that mode where they can beat you on talent but they can get pushed around. And you know what? Same thing happened with the Tampa Bay Lightning last year, and they could beat everybody on talent. Then they got pushed around in the playoffs, and they were out in four games. I don't want anybody to misinterpret this one. You say they get pushed around. This isn't the NHL of the 1980s. We're, we're no, not, of course. Nobody's yeah. sending out players to 
to intimidate other teams, but you need to be able to get in on a four-check. You need to play north-south hockey. What did the Blues do to win the Cup? They dumped the puck in, they went and they got it, and they have some skilled players. There's no, there's no denying that, but they also had players that could win a 50-50 puck, that could make a defenseman think twice about going into a corner at full speed to get a puck. And over a long series, those things pay huge dividends. So, look, the, the Leafs could change. The biggest problem that they have right now is they're so tight against the salary cap mm-hmm. that they can't change their identity at all. What they have is what they have because you can't, you can't bring anybody in. You can't get a better backup goalie, which is one of their issues, and you can't change that third, fourth line identity because you can't make wholesale changes and they, and they've reached a point where freddie anderson is demanding to play on the second half of a back-to-back as he did against colorado following that 6-1 loss against philly and it didn't work they lost three to one they were better they, they certainly were better they didn't you know he was great he, he was terrific they didn't uh give up as they gave up a lot of chances but they weren't manhandled like like the flyers did to them but uh that's a problem because you're right you touch on it they're right up against the cap they're oh six and one with the backup goalie in net and now they're oh one and oh when the backup goalie really should be playing because they don't want freddie anderson playing back-to-backs he's already going to be getting 60 to 65 starts this season who cares right Right, he's he's your best goalie he's he's your only he's your only choice at this point not to be a dinosaur which I've been accused of more than once in my <laughs> life. Marty Brodeur played 75 games and won a Stanley Cup. How do you know that a player can't handle that workload until he handles it or doesn't handle it? Let him run. Well, and the, in the, uh, isn't the idea to get into the playoffs? You can't win in the playoffs with a, you know, try to win in the playoffs with a tired goalie if you don't get to the playoffs. And he's their only hope in net right now of getting to the playoffs. And the division's running away from him. Yep, absolutely. Talking about getting run away from the next topic before we go to our first guest, who's going to be Hal Gill, Predators, Nashville Predators radio analyst. Uh, And this ties in. We'll ask Hal Gill about this. P.K. Subban with the New Jersey Devils, zero points in 15 games, speaks to a problem with the Devils. But they fired their coach, John Hines. And you talk about untenable with the Leafs. It was getting untenable with the Devils and John Hines. And I think everybody in New Jersey respects, with the, associated with the Devils, respects Hines. They believe he's a good coach. But when you lose 4 to nothing to the Rangers and you follow that up with the performance they had in Buffalo, they lose 7-1 and they're down 5 to nothing in the first period. The low point is what Taylor Hall called it, was that bus ride to the airport after that game. You got to do something, and that's what Ray Shiro eventually did, firing John Hines, promoting Elaine Nazardine to the uh, interim tag now of being the head co- interim head coach. And you got to see what they got now, but were you at all surprised by this? No. Watching the game against Buffalo, that's a game that gets a coach fired. It's yeah. the same thing we just talked about, the 6-1 to game in Pittsburgh for Mike Babcock. Like, when you look, when you're invested in that team and you need to make decisions about that team, you see the first two periods of that game and you say – it's lost. The room's lost. I don't know that it's John's fault. I don't think it is. I think he's a really good coach, and I think he'll come back from this, and he'll coach somewhere else, and he'll be good. But it wasn't getting any better. It wasn't going to get any better. I don't know if the team tuned him out. I don't know if the team's that good. There was a lot of optimism going into this year about the Devils, but when you when you think about what's happened since the season started, they haven't been good for a long time. They don't have any goaltender. They don't have a goaltender that's played in the NHL that has a nine save percentage. Yeah, they're, they're, and there's all, no Jordan Bennington running through the door either. No, no. And yeah. and they don't have anybody that can score goals. 
Taylor, Taylor Hall, Hall has, has four. Four. Yeah. Right. He leads the team with twenty-two points. He has four goals, one on the power play. Mm-hmm. Right. I think they've lost eight games by three or more goals. Mm. Like that's that's in the in the parity that we have now in the league. That's unacceptable. It, it it's incredible. And PK Subban, who they brought in to be their number one defenseman. Has no points, as I mentioned, no points in the past 15 games. He's not on the first power play. He's got no points in 15. We'll touch on that with Hal Gill, our first case. But, but before we go there, it, Taylor Hall's situation comes into light now, right? Because John Hines, Taylor, Taylor Hall, somewhat shockingly said he didn't see it coming with, with John Hines. He said he had no idea a coaching change could be coming. And that's kind of maybe a hockey player who's just focused on what he can do to help his team. He's not thinking about things like that. But... The next move for the Devils, and I think that Ray Shiro and Elaine Nazardine have to let this breathe a little bit to see what they can see if anything can change here. Uh, but the next move for the Devils is the Taylor Hall move. What happens? Because that's going to define the rest of this season and their offseason. If he signs, and I think there's now a remote chance at best that he signs, then they're going to be looking to be contenders again next season. There's no question about it. If they trade him, what do they get in the trade? Can they get a goaltender who they believe can be a number one now or soon, a younger guy? And if they can't get that, what do they get that will help them in the short term? Because if you're the Devils, you may have to go into another reset, I guess, with Jack Hughes and Nico Heashier and Ty Smith as your your cornerstones. But how's that going to go over with the fans and the ownership? Yeah, no, look, I, I think at this point you need – to fully explore the Taylor Hall market. There's there's things that you need that aren't coming through the farm system, that aren't coming through the draft, and they're not coming fast enough, right? So, But the problem is, we just talked about it. He has four goals, one on the power play, 22 points. What are you getting for him, right? How desperate is a team going to be? And that team that's desperate, do they, A, have the cap space to take him on, and B, the assets to get back? Because you've got to get something back. That's that's tenable. You basically got to get the Mark Stone deal back, if mm-hmm. not better. Yeah, and w- and see, will that team be willing to sign him to an extension? Because like the Mark Stone deal, you get more back if you if that team's able to know that he's not just a rental. Yeah, and and but how many teams are sitting with both those pots of gold? Yeah, not a lot, uh, especially for a player who's not really. I mean, he's a Hart Trophy winner. He had a knee injury last year, and he hasn't really shown it this year. He's yeah, he's their leading scorer with twenty two points, but. That's a low mark for a leading scorer on a team. But I will say this. Put him with some good players. Yeah. Put him in Colorado, right, to fill out their top six. Right. Put him in Boston to fill out their top six. I'm not saying either one of those teams are going to do it, but Colorado makes a little bit of sense with the prospects they have, the money they have. But put Hall on a team with a true number one center that's over 21 years old and – some other people that you have to think about and you're not always going to draw the top matchup. Look, you go in and you play the Devils and you're basically like, let's shut down Palmieri and Hall. And we're good. And we're good. Who else is going to score goals? So it's a steady diet of one-two defensemen, one-two defensemen, checking center, the whole thing. Now you go on a team where maybe you're you're a second-line guy or if they're deep enough, you're a third-line guy and now you're feasting on four, five, six defensemen and you're going to town. So I think there are situations where Hall can find his game again and maybe they're even in New Jersey, but not right now. Yeah, not right now. All right, let's 
move on from the Devils. We'll go to our first guest. It's Hal Gill, Nashville Predators radio analyst and former NHL defenseman. Played 1,108 games. And he's also the man who started a conspiracy theory on Twitter this week about chapstick. And his tweet was, does chapstick chap your lips on purpose so that you buy more chapstick? Is there any proof to this? Hal, have you learned anything from your Twitter followers? Well, apparently, uh, the Twitter the Twitter world helped me out and said that yeah, it, it does, does something to your lips that makes your you're supposed to have that in your body anyway, and so your body stops making whatever it is that makes your lips moist. What so a great business! I feel plan. like I've been lied to by Peekaboo Street. <laughs> Bygone. Bygone. Well, look, I mean, we cut right to the chase on this podcast about chapstick. Right? Dude, that is the greatest <laughs> business it. plan in the history of mankind. Yes, make people buy more. It's almost like bottled yeah. water. Yeah, we got to figure it out how to get people to listen more. Maybe we'll have to make some stuff up. Well, and, well we're yeah. having Hal Gill on. Well, that'll, that'll do it, it too. Yeah. <laughs> no one's ever going to make a hockey stick that doesn't break. You know, well, there's not much profit in it. That's true. Very good points. All right, let's get to the Predators. Um, I'm struggling to figure this team out. I don't know if you are as well. I think it's impossible to realize that they're not in a playoff position, that they're 12-10-5 as we record this, 3-6-3 three, and three since November 7th. Why? What's going wrong with this team right now? Uh, it seems like every game there's, an, there's something else, and I, I don't know how to put my finger on it sometimes. They started off offensively. They were flying, and Duchesne looked fantastic playing with Forsberg, and then you know Forsberg got hurt. And then they just haven't had all the all the guns blazing at the same time. Uh, Ellis and Yossi have been fantastic. Matias Ekholm has been very, very good. Uh, they have the defense. The goaltending, I think, has been good. Uh, Rene and Saros have been good. They've had their moments where the, they didn't save games for the team when the team really let them down. But I, I blame the team more than that. Um, they figured out some of the defensive woes and – and played some tight games, and, you know, they kind of split even when they're playing that way. I think they need their big guns. Ultimately, you know, Arvidsson is out of the lineup. I think Forsberg needs to step his game up. I think Johansson needs to step his game up. Duchesne was hot, and now he's not so much. Uh, it's just kind of a mixed bag. But I, I, I think if those guys can start scoring goals, get the power play to come around, uh, they'll, they'll be all right. They certainly have the team and the makeup to be good. The power play was historically bad last year, and then it got better at the beginning of this year, but it's kind of regressed. Is that just, you know, Arvidsson being out in the net front presence? Is it, is it bigger than that? Is this a systematic issue? or? Well, they changed some things around. It's just I, – I, it's hard to explain. Last year, it was just a bunch of guys that were questioning everything they did. Um, and, and now this year they started off where they had that confidence and they just snap it around and make plays. They weren't overthinking it. And, and now they've kind of gotten into that, you know, you go through two or three games where it doesn't click, and then you start to question it again. And I think they've gone through that. It looked good the last game. Kyle Turris was back in the lineup. He actually looked really good on the half ball. So I'd be interested to see if they put him in that situation a, a little more and use him in that regard. But, uh, you know, I think it's there. They, they split to a 2-3 spread and really opened it up, but they couldn't attack the net that way. So now they're in the middle of playing that 1-3-1 one, one with the bumper and the 2-3, and I think they're going to find a mix here. It looked okay last game, so 
Uh, let's see if they can build on that. Yeah, the power play, 10.3%, 4 for 39 since November 7th, and I gave that stat 3, 6, and 3 since November 7th. One other stat that since that date, it, it's a luck thing too. 28 goals on 417 shots, 6.7% shooting. Is, is part of this that they're just – and you know it. You played the game. You played 1,108 games in the league. It's part of it. They're just not getting the breaks. They're not getting a bounce when they need it. Yeah, <laughs> I hate saying that. It's like I know. my biggest pet peeve when you say, "Yeah, oh, we just weren't lucky." That's not an excuse. But it really it was for for a while. They had like five games where pucks were just bouncing off everyone and going in their own net, and then they couldn't get that break. And uh, you know, it kind of spiraled and it, it kind of got away from them and yeah i think they get they're getting a lot of shots what i'd like to see them do is make some more plays out of the chaos after the shot you know it's that's where i think they could be better you know get the shot on net and then there's a rebound you got to make a quick play a boom boom you know backdoor play for the most part whatever it is confidence or whatever it is they 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 get that one shot and that's pretty much it they can't make another play out of it and so i I think that's something that comes with maybe the lines have changed a little bit and, and, you know, with injuries and whatnot, they can't quite get a rhythm. But that's something they certainly could be better at. Yeah, I don't think in the first week of December anybody would be saying that Kali Yonkrok and, and Nick Benino would be the two leading scorers on the Nashville Predators. Um, and, and they are goal-scoring-wise. So there has to be an assumption that some of the bigger guns are going to come back and, and, and find what they're doing. But to me, I think the most interesting thing about this team is you spoke about the goaltending earlier. Is there a little bit – are we starting to see a little bit of the changing of the guard here? I mean, Peck has been that goalie for so long. He went three games, I think, for the first time in his career, healthy without playing, and, and Soros has played well, and he's kind of been that goalie and waiting for a long time. Are we starting to see a little bit of that transition, or are people reading too much into it? No, I, I think you are. I think that's something – in order to keep two good goalies, you have to play them both. And, and you know, I, I really think Rene, if anything, he's gotten better. He's more composed. He's poised. Uh, he's a smarter goalie. He's, he doesn't make the crazy acrobatic saves, but he makes, uh, he makes a lot of saves look pretty easy. And so I think he looks great. Uh, the, the the only thing is, Saros, you have to play him, and you have to give him some confidence, and you have to let him go on runs uh, and play a few games in a row. So I think that's where that comes from. He, he's he been good. Both goalies have been great. Uh, you know, you got one young goalie that you need to get games and an older goalie that you need to give rest. So, uh, you know, down the end, I'm not saying that one guy is going to take the job in the playoffs if they get there, but I, I, I do think uh, they're – definitely jockeying for position wanted to take you away from nashville for a bit uh just look at a broader view of the league as a former defenseman are you what do you think about what john carlson's doing right now with the washington capitals <laughs> you know the goal he scored last night i was i was watching it i'm like how does that go in? <laughs> you know he just comes down and beats quick wide post it's like a perfect shot but you know, it's like it's crazy. Uh, you know, he's just got so much confidence and and up in the play, and I feel like it's almost effortless. And uh, you know, it's got to be something because he, I th- I always thought he's a good player, and he was building up to be a better player to, and to be borderline great. But he's amazing right now. And uh, you know, I'm watching Roman Yossi and and talking about how 
amazing he, he is on a nightly basis. And then I look over and Carlson's just, what does he have, 42 points now? It's really amazing. I, I, I don't want, get to watch him all that much, so I'm seeing highlight reels. But, um, you know, it is pretty impressive what he's doing right now. What, what does he do best when you see him? I think he just reads the play. I think he's smart. He doesn't force anything. He doesn't need to. And, and he hits the spots. And, and, you know, he's got some pretty good guys to pass to. But it's really about uh, misdirection. He looks like he's going to make a play one way, and he's very smooth with making a play the other way. I, you know, I don't want to use this comparison, but I, I think Lidstrom was a guy that, you know, it wasn't all that flashy. He just somehow every pass he made was to a guy who's wide open and right in their wheelhouse. So I feel like that's what he does really well. And, and the shots he's taken are just, you know, he's reading the play and, and finding the back of the net. And he's scoring, this is a defenseman, but he's scoring some like real true goal scorer types goals, like the one you described against the Kings, right, against Quay. I mean, that's a goal scorer's goal. This isn't just a, a flash. This, guy, this guy's got some serious skills around the net too. Yeah, and it's, it's – while he's doing that, I don't find it overall flashy, you know, and and that's why I think he's he's so smart and reading the play. He doesn't have to stick handle. He doesn't have to do crazy dangles. Uh, it's just about reading the play and moving to the right spot. And you know, a lot of the goals look pretty easy when when you just say, "Hey, that's that's all you have to do." It, it makes it look pretty easy. Going to the to the Central Division, obviously the Predators are not in a place that they want to be at this point. But the division, other than maybe the top two teams, hasn't been that great, so they're not in a problem. But from what you've seen from St. Louis and, and Colorado, is there a genuine fear at this point that you can't get much further behind because they are kind of the class of the class of the division with maybe Winnipeg one one notch behind them? Yeah, Colorado beat up the Preds pretty good in, in Colorado and they were fast and you know I, I when, when they're a healthy team I think that's going to be pretty scary uh, the young defense, I, Kale McCarr is, is unreal um, you know Gerard is, is good they have a good mixture of, of speed and, and uh, solid guys so uh, they're going to be tough to beat um, and then St. Louis, the Preds actually beat them home-on-home uh, home and, and beat them and looked really good against them. Uh, but you can tell they have that swagger where they play a five-man unit up and down the ice. And Barubi's, I, I really like the way he's got them playing together. And it's just a continuation of what they were doing uh, to, on the cup run. But, uh, yeah, those you can't get too far behind it. And I think Nashville has that confidence that they're going to come around and catch up to those guys and compete with them but it's getting to that point where like like you said you don't want to be too far behind because it's going to be tough because you you know dallas is going to come you know winnipeg is coming uh these teams are are all good and it's going to be hard to climb in a division that i assume all these teams are going to click at the same time and that's going to be pretty scary so, just to refresh the memory, when when you came into the league, you were you were as smooth as kale, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> you knew you what imagine, was going on. I I can't imagine doing any of the moves that he did back then. <laughs> it's just it's unheard of watching these young D come in and well, when I came in, you, you had to earn your keep. You like you had to play your five minutes and six minutes and and show that you could defend in your own zone. Now these guys are just ripping around. It's it is pretty impressive. Uh, how much leeway they get, but how much skill they have. 
There is an older, well, not old, but older, he's a veteran defenseman, coming back into Nashville on Saturday with the Devils. P.K. Subban comes back to Nashville with New Jersey Saturday night. Is this uh, any type of big deal in Nashville that P.K. is coming back? It's really the P.K. Subban show coming returning to Nashville, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the YouTube channel, the, the whole <laughs> thing that is P.K. Subban. Yeah, he was great for the city. I, I know people loved him around here, not just – he had a couple of great years here with, you know, 2017. He was a beast in that playoff, in that playoff series. Like he, he was a really dominant defensively, which maybe he wasn't known for, but he really showed off and has become that big high end defensive defenseman. in my opinion. And, uh, and I think that, you know, the, the whole city really rallied around his, he's got electrifying personality in Nashville kind of took it and ran with it. And I, I think it's fun the way they had a good time with him and he kind of brought the city on the map. So I think they're going to love him and, and be excited to have him back here. But, um, you know, it's tough the way he left. I know he wanted to do more here. And now he's going to New Jersey, which is just, it's been kind of a disaster all the way around. So, uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be nice to have him back here. I, I'm sure the fans are going to give him a, a warm welcome. That's the thing. PK is back in town, but the Devils are struggling, and it's an opportunity, obviously, for the Predators to maybe start getting in the right direction. Hal, thanks so much for joining us this week, all right? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. What a great conversation with Hal. Learned a lot about the Predators, maybe a little goalie controversy. We're going to see him again in a little while at the Winter Classic in uh, January 1st at the Cotton Bowl. Pretty excited about that. Uh, you can follow Hal at skillsy 75 Good follow. All your chapstick news will be right there. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about you for a little bit. Me? You had a big story this week. You caught up with Artemi Panarin, who's going back to Columbus. Tell me a little bit about what Artemi's thinking going back uh, for the game on Wednesday night. Well, Thursday. Get your, you, you, Jesus. Know, you were going to say how skillsy 57, too. You're, you know, and it's skillsy 75. Time. Yeah, tough time. But anyway, we'll go Thursday. Triple right? time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe it's the Christmas salad get coming back at you. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, I, you know, one of the things that w that is notable and it's more so from a media perspective than anything else is that I was able to talk to Artemi Panarin in English. And it's notable because it really speaks to the comfort level he has here in New York. He did not do English interviews, maybe one or two. Uh, in Columbus, and certainly none in Chicago after he came over. His English is improving. He's getting more comfortable with it. He's still, you know, second guesses himself and doesn't understand some questions, but he's willing to do it, just not in front of cameras, which is understandable. But he is looking forward to this game. Uh, if you remember his last memory of Columbus being on the ice was when they lost game six against Boston in the second round last year. He stayed on the ice. He was the second to last guy off the ice. The fans were chanting CBJ. They loved that team. He was waving to the crowd, clapping his hands. Uh, Nick Foligno was the last guy off just because he's the captain, but he was waving as he was going down the tunnel. And I asked Panarin about that, and he said it was his way of saying goodbye because he knew. He knew he was leaving. He said, I wasn't 100% sure, but he had a pretty good idea that he was gone. And that was his way of saying goodbye. And now he gets to say hello to them, granted in a different uniform. But he's looking forward to that. He's looking forward to, or he was, looking forward to going back and walking around his old neighborhood and some of the old places he would go to. But he absolutely loves it in New York. I mean, loves it. In, and the Rangers obviously love him. He's been just terrific, worth every penny of the contract. But 
he he said Central Park is great. He walks around there with his dog and his girlfriend. He loves going into the Plaza Hotel, right a, a stone's throw across the street from Central Park, to sip coffee, listen to jazz music. You know, he, this is a guy who is a modern chic guy, but he's got an old school soul. And it was really interesting to talk to him about all these things. But on the ice, he he has been everything for the New York Rangers. So they love him and they need him to keep going. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist says to me he's the real deal. Ryan Strom said he's a gamer. And David Quinn, with perhaps the best compliment you can give a guy, he's a winner. And it's a huge game. It's probably the biggest regular season game at, at, at Nationwide Arena since Rick Nash went back. Well, in terms of returns, yeah, I, I would think so, yeah. And, and it's a sign also for the Blue Jackets, unfortunately, of what's not there anymore because they're struggling to score goals, although their power play has been better, right? Yeah, ex-coaches room guy, yeah. Paul McLean. They were at like 17%. He got hired on November 21st after I spent a week with him in Sweden. I think I smartened you, him up a little bit. You got him, yep. And now they're at, they're clicking at like 30%, third best in the league. So clearly the guys that do coaches room for us every Thursday – they know a little something. Well, they know a little something, and we get them jobs. Yes. Well, I think they get themselves jobs, but maybe we play a little role. Yeah, we Probably keep them, not. We keep them out there. So, But really interesting <laughs> stuff to read from those guys every week. It is great stuff, and, and we actually may have three more candidates that we could go to here. And there are three, this goes back to our conversation at the top of the show, that, that I didn't see coming. We talked about John Hines getting fired with the New Jersey Devils, Mike Babcock with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and obviously under di- different circumstances, Bill Peters with the Calgary Flames. If you were to ask me, Sean, at the start of the season, if three coaches were going to get fired by m- early December, I would not have even thought of these three guys because expectations were high. I thought the teams were better, and I thought they had a firm grip on what was going on with their teams. The guys I probably would have gone to w- are more along the lines of Paul Maurice with the Winnipeg Jets because of their defensive issues Bruce Boudreaux with the Minnesota Wild a change with the general manager and maybe even Mike Sullivan with the Pittsburgh Penguins just simply because of how it ended last season for the Penguins but if you look at these teams I mean the Wild with Boudreaux 7-0-3 in their past 10 games as we record this the Jets are third in the Central Division 12-5-1 since October 20th and the Penguins are battling all these injuries and they just beat the St. Louis Blues 3 nothing. And yeah, right in the playoff mix. Look, if we we just did uh, co- uh, trophy tracker yeah. recently, none of those guys were really in the mix. I think Sullivan got one vote. I think Maurice got one vote. That was it. You know, when we go to do them again in January, which will be the half point of the season, January second, which is almost mind boggling. <laughs> but there. if yeah. they don't get a lot more votes, there's seriously something wrong. Like when you think about these teams, first of all, the Minnesota Wild, Zach Priest has 12 goals, like. Everybody yeah. thought he was done. He's figured it back out. You know, they got a little bit of a problem now. Spurgeon broke his hand this week. He's going to be out a couple of weeks. He plays almost 25 minutes. But, you know, it's about time, other than that, that this team got on a run, got a little bit of luck, you know. And then you look at Paul Maurice, and you talked about the defensive the defensive issues that they would probably have. They're number two and three defensemen, time on ice-wise. Pionk. And Kulikov, who's now hurt who's also. Who's now hurt. He's out until the All-Star break. Yeah, They're one of the better defensive teams in the league. Look, it helps. Connor Hellebuck's Connor been good. Playing at a 940 save percentage. <laughs> yeah. But he's faced the third most shots in the league yes. behind uh, Price and Anderson. I'm sorry, fourth, Riddich. Yeah. So, you know, he's been good, but. Good goaltending makes. Good coaches. Good coaches. But 
that's not to say, one of the things with the Jets is that they compete and they're disciplined. That, that discipline used to be a problem for Winnipeg. They are now one of the least penalized teams, or at least team, uh, least amount of times on the PK in the league. So that plays a huge role, I think, in the for their success. And Patrick Line, he's a passer. He's a passer now. He's not even a scorer. Well, he's scoring and passing. Yeah, but he's passing a lot more. And then look, you look at you look at the Penguins. And Mike Sullivan, everybody's like, oh, well, Mike Sullivan, look at the team he had. Any, anybody could coach them. I could coach them. This year, these are the guys that they've had play every game this season. It's, this isn't even going to take long. <laughs> Gensel, Tanev, yeah. Simone, Pedersen, Reese, and Bluger. Yeah. That's it. They came into Madison Square Garden a couple of weeks ago. I covered the Penguins a lot for their playoff runs especially was in that room a lot got to kn- got you know got to know some of those players and obviously you recognize them all there were guys in that room I was I was asking Arama who's that who's yep. that who's that that's how much turnover they've had and yet Mike Sullivan continues to have this team right in the playoff mix it's he deserve he was getting the credit for how good of a coach he is when they were winning the cup and then all of a sudden he wasn't so good anymore when they get swept by the Islanders, right? Well, he's a, he's a darn good coach. He is. And, and look, we made that list. Here's another list. Here's the guys that have missed more than a quarter of this season. Malkin, Rust, Crosby, Latang, Hornquist, <laughs> Galchenyuk. Who has two goals? Yeah. And Matt Murray is at an 898 save percentage. And they're in a playoff spot. It's the wild card, but they're in a playoff spot. And look, if these guys all come back healthy, they're going to be a dangerous team. You know who's a dangerous team? A really dangerous team? Boston Bruins. They are a dangerous, they are a dangerous team. team. And that's my segue. You like that segue to our next guest? It's one of your better ones. All right. We are going to go right to our next guest. It is Emily Benjamin, and she is literally at the rink. Uh, the podcast is named after at the rink, and she is literally at the rink at TD Garden after the Chicago Blackhawks morning skate. Emily, how's it going? I, I like to be as literal as possible in life. So um, I'm at a hockey rink, which is which is pretty important. Uh, there was even a morning skate here. I got to see the the Blackhawks a little bit. Not not much going on there, unfortunately, though. Uh, a lot more going back on back at uh, the practice room for the Bruins. Yeah. So what's going on with the Bruins right now? I mean, they can't lose, so that's a good thing, right? I'd say generally that's a pretty good thing. <laughs> I mean, the, the biggest question with them, as always, is you know. What is happening with Patrice Bergeron? And I think that's going to be a question we are going to ask all season, I think. But um, looks like he is progressing, which is which is good news for the Bruins. Though, at this rate, maybe they don't need him. Well, maybe they don't. I mean, uh, the numbers... <laughs> slow that down, slow down. The numbers... Slow down. They are, need Bergeron, okay? ridiculous. They'll need him come the playoffs, for sure. They need him before that. Um, is there a sense that this is going to be a season-long thing? I think I think there is that this is going to be a recurring thing, and that they are going to have to manage this. And and this is not something that has popped up this season. This is something that he has been managing for a while. He uh, opted not to get surgery in the off season. They, he had an injection of platelet rich plasma um, in July, and then you know missed a lot of training camp. So this is a thing that is going to keep happening. And I think I think um, you know they don't quite let me in on all the medical information yet but you know i'm working on it yeah keep working um so i I think that that this is you know he may have to take off uh 
second half of a back-to-back or one game of a back-to-back. They may have to watch how many practices he participates in or morning skates, things like that, to get as much as they can out of him. And and we'll see if maybe that's something that's revisited in the offseason surgery, that is. Do you get a sense that this is really difficult for Patrice? I mean, this is a guy who played in the Stanley Cup final when he probably shouldn't have been walking a couple of years ago um, against the, against these Blackhawks, as a matter of fact. Um, he's not a guy that wants to take time off. Is is this a case of load management that's more difficult because of the pride that Patrice has in, in playing and practicing? I think it's tough, but I think he's also a really smart guy and player. And I think he is... Um, smart enough to understand that if this is something that will help him play when it really matters, um, that that's important. But yeah, I mean, uh, these guys are, are, you know, want to be out there every single day, want to be out there every single time. I mean, you know, I've talked to you know, Chara about this, about, you know, his load management as he gets up to 42, obviously not an injury situation, but, but an age situation. And, and he doesn't want to take games or practices or anything off so you know i think it's really tough for these guys especially for someone like patrice um but you have to be smart um and you have to know that playing a game in december is not worth or playing you know missing a couple games in december is not worth missing games in june and and given how good this team is i wouldn't be surprised to be standing at at this rink in june well that is true. Can we talk about David Pasternak? Can we do that now? We, uh, we've gone too long without would. talking about David Pasternak. So he's got 25 goals in 28 games as we record this. Rob Reese from NHL.com did a story on the potential of 50 goals in 50 games. And if you look at it, I mean, he actually has to uh, increase his goal production per game to get to 50. That shows you how hard it is. But, uh, Emily, why is this guy – all of a sudden, not, I mean, he's a good goal scorer, we get it, but why has he taken it to this level of goal scoring? I think some of it is just sort of improving his all-around game, improving his strength, getting smarter and, and better as a player. I mean, remember, he's still 23. This kid is is so young. He's been around a number of years, so it's, you know, sometimes he sort of slips your mind how young he still is. Um, but he has he has worked on his one timer, so that shot has been a big piece of this, and and just the strength. It's funny, you know. What, I remember when he came in as, uh, you know, a kid at development camp, and he was falling all falling down all over the ice. Uh, not to mention that he hadn't brought any of his equipment from Sweden. But you know, we'll give him a pass at that point on that one. Um, you know, he he that first season he was getting pushed around by some of the heavier teams, uh, especially out west. But it's been pretty dramatic, you know, watching him from, uh, you know, over the last four or five years from 18 to, to 23 in terms of that strength, in terms of that shot, and, and just the confidence. He, he knows that he can score any game at this point. You know what? A couple of weeks ago, I remember maybe a month ago or so, we were talking about Pasternak and that line, especially when Bergeron's healthy, when they're back together, Bergeron, Marchand. And Pasternak, and I was saying that I think that David Pasternak has taken over as the guy who drives that line now because of his speed and his pushback and and uh, how dangerous he is. And that's not taking anything away from a Bergeron and a Marchand. But I wonder, has, do you agree with that? You see it daily. Do you agree that you know when they're together? And I know Bergeron's been out for a number of games now, but when they're together, is he the one now that drives it? Well, I think the funny thing was <clears throat> someone on Twitter recently said. Is it possible that Patrice Bergeron is now the worst player on that line? <laughs> and 
and you sort of step back and you say, no. And then you say, I mean, is it possible? I, you know, it's you certainly a, a, it's a fun argument that, that Patrice Bergeron, this all-time great player who's, you know, headed for, for the Hall of Fame, could be the worst player currently playing on his line when he's healthy, which is unbelievable. But, yeah, I think Pasternak is really, you know, he's the guy that, that teams are sort of keying on now. And it's, it's interesting to see that, you know, even without, without Bergeron, he's still having that production. That, you know, this is not about him driving that group. But, um, yeah, Pasternak, Pasternak is really where the focus is and, and where the focus should be. Uh, for opposing teams right now. And the two biggest questions for him to do 50 and 50, which is probably the most exclusive club in the NHL. I mean, the only guys that have done it are Maurice Richard, Bossy, Gretzky, did it a few times. Lemieux and Hull was the last guy to do it. He did it twice. Is one, half his goals now are on the power play. And the mm-hmm. Bruins power play is at 30% this year so far. That's almost impossible to do for a full year. And two, he doesn't take a lot of shots. He's only got 111. Ovi's got... 40 more shots than he does and five less goals. Do you see the, I don't want to say it's luck, but the, the good fortune analytically that he's run into lasting throughout the year, especially in the power play and in his shooting percentage? I mean, it's interesting because you look at last year, he had 38 goals in, in 66 games. He was on a 50-goal a pace, obviously, for the whole season last year. So this isn't sort of out of nowhere. Um, but, I mean, Yes, there probably is a little bit of luck there, but I think anyone who's going to score that many games, whether you know from Ovechkin on down, has that in in those those great great seasons. Um, so I think I think for him, it, it's a matter of not getting stuck. He he tends to sometimes get a little streaky. He'll go on a on a run where he doesn't score a lot. So if he avoids sort of those bad streaks and if he stays healthy, which he also hasn't always done, um, you know, those are sort of two huge factors in, in this, this potential really, you know, rare accomplishment that he could, he could hit. And they have away from Pasternak for a second. They have a new line, obviously with Bergeron out, Brad Marchand playing with Charlie Coyle and Danton Heinen now. Right. I mean, what, what do they like about that line? Why does that one work? I mean, good players obviously well, but there has to be some chemistry with them it's interesting it was a line that was just thrown kind of thrown together um last game it, it wasn't or you know it just wasn't something that that cassidy said he necessarily put a ton of thought into uh he literally used the word thrown together mm-hmm. um but he he said that you know having a couple of puck possession guys you know on that line helps a young guy like dan heinen and just sort of the, that they you know not only that, but you have three guys who can all score, who all do bring um, some offensive, you know, element. I know people don't know a lot about Danton Heinen, but he was an offensive guy um, in college in Denver. Um, so they have some capabilities on that line, and and Heinen's sort of been a guy who's who's gotten much better and and sort of rounded out his game in the last couple of years. He's hasn't made a huge splash, but sort of a, a steady guy uh, who's developed into into someone who can who can hang with a guy like Brad Marchand and a, and a guy like Charlie, Charlie Goyle. Well, obviously, one of the things that the Bruins have been able to do and been so good is because they arguably have the best goalie tandem in the league and Rask and Halak. And everybody's like, oh, what a luxury that is. 
it's a difficult thing for a coach. I mean, Halak could be a number one on a lot of teams. I think there are a lot of teams in this league that would love to have him as part of their goaltending rotation when you look around the league. Has, has Bruce talked much about how he handles that? I mean, you have two guys that really want to be a number one. I mean, Tuka's been that for a number of years, and uh, is a great backup, but I'm sure he wants to see more time. I, I would assume, and, and maybe you know better, but that might be Bruce's the best of all the things he's done as a coach since he's been there is kind of handling that situation. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say probably more on Halak's end. I think Tuka has really come to the understanding that – uh, he has a certain number of games that he plays best at. Uh, he's a he's a slight guy. He's not a guy who, you know, really has the capability of playing into those, you know, sixty games, sixty five games. He's he's done it, but he's not at his best. And I think he has come to the point where he understands that. Uh, it's almost like we were talking about with Patrice in, in sort of a different way that that load management on him is really important. Uh, that if he wants to be playing as you know, the best he can, as we saw throughout the, the playoffs last season, he needs to be in a certain game range in, in that, you know, in that 50 range. And so having a guy like Halak allows him to do that. So I think he is really pretty good with the arrangement. I mean, I'm sure last year when he sort of briefly lost his starting spot, he wasn't super excited, but um, I think he's okay with it. And and for Halak, it, it's harder to know. I mean, he is a guy, he just you know, had a shutout in his 500th game. That's not usually something you're getting from your backup. Uh, but I think it's just sort of worked for the two of them. Halak still gets, you know, he's not, he, he gets a whole bunch of games. He gets a chance to win. He gets a place where he's comfortable. So I think it's, you know, it can't be easy necessarily for, for, for Bruce Cassidy to, to manage that. But I think for those two guys, they seem to have worked pretty well together and, and worked out the arrangement pretty well. And, and the goaltending plays into the last question we have for you, I have for you, is the their dominance in the third period. The goaltending has been really good. They've given up 20 goals entering this game against Chicago in the third period this season. And that's four of those came against Florida on November 12th. Did that game, when they blew that lead against the Panthers, did that reset them in terms of resetting the standard that they need to have to win games, especially in the third period? We were talking a little bit about that with, with Cassidy yesterday, and, and I think there there probably was something there that said, oh, wait, we, we can't do this, let's let's figure this out again. But they have been unbelievable in third periods since then, and, and Charlie Coyle was saying that it really does build on itself, that it, it gives you confidence that you go into the room after the second and you say, we can do this, you know, we can keep these guys off the board, we can score, you know, there's, it's really calm. It's, there's no questions about whether or not they can make that happen. And it was interesting. I was looking at some of the number, some of the numbers. Um, they scored 39 goals in third periods this season. They scored 89 last season in a full season. So, um, you know, it's funny because Cassidy was saying, you know, well, this this team has always done this. This has been a, sort of a hallmark of our team to be good in third periods, to, um, you know, have the the physical capabilities to, to have the conditioning, to have the leadership and the confidence, but they're definitely doing it at a, at, a, at least scoring at a higher rate than they were last year. But um, it, it's just, it's, it's made them a really confident team. It's made them a fun team. I mean, in this building, especially you come into a third period and, and the team, the fans, everyone sort of assumes 
something's going to happen here, which which is a which is a fun thing to to watch. That's what good teams do, and they're a fun team. You get to see them all the time. Thank you so much for joining us, literally from the rink. Appreciate it. Anytime. You can follow Emily on Twitter at Emily Benjamin and Sean. One other team that's really caught my attention of late, and I didn't think it was going to happen, was the is now the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, I didn't know, think, realize that they were going to be a legitimate playoff contender, but as we sit here today, they're six zero and one since November twenty first. They've won five in a row, and that's as we record this. And two stats that stand out to me: six zero and two when tied after the first period. 4-0-1 when tied after the second period. This team plays very well in close games. They're 8-1-5 in one-goal games. It's remarkable to me what Elaine Vigneault has been able to do so far with the Flyers and how he has really created that culture of accountability. Look, Shane Gossespierre was scratched for three straight games. He's played three in a row since as we record this. He's got three points in those games. I, I, how could you be surprised? You covered AV forever. Well, this is a, I'm not this surprised is, by AV. I'm this surprised is an by AV team. This is. is a reflection is. of who he is. They've played 14 one-goal games so mm-hmm. far this year. Out of 26, 14 have been one goal. You, look, you don't survive that way, right? Their goal differential through 24 games is 12 goals. Like yeah. you can't. They're live. plus 14 in goal differential after the second period. They're even after. Uh, even in the first two periods, plus 12 in the third, plus two in overtime. Okay. I'm just saying you can't play that way for 82 games and and hope to survive in the playoffs. Like, you need A, you need to have some breathers, and B, you need somebody that can break a game open and say, you know what, boys, we're going to have a little fun tonight. And they, they don't have that yet. It could be coming. And, and the one thing I think that's promising is, is it's a bunch of different guys that are really leading this team now. It's not Giroux and, and and Voracek and those guys. Like There's some young kids that are coming up and doing some really good things for them. Well, and obviously it starts with Carter Hart. And Elaine Vigneault teams have had good goaltending. You look back at his Vancouver teams, you had Roberto Luongo, Corey Schneider. Obviously in New York you had Henrik Lundqvist, and now Carter Hart and been just terrific and Brian Elliott's been a good backup. Brian Elliott's been better. Brian Elliott's been very good. He's a backup, but he's been very good. Uh, The one thing though, you you touched on that, Giroux, Voracek, there are other guys that that are doing it, but Elaine Vigneault has gone after the veterans. Uh, He went after Giroux and Voracek and obviously Gossespierre and Kevin Hayes and all of them have responded the way. I mean, they're getting a lot more out of James Van Riemsdyk is another guy he's gone after, getting a lot more production out of JVR and Hayes and Giroux and Voracek and Gossespierre. So his tactics, which is to go after, call it mind games if you want. I'm not 100% sure. I just think he knows who he can go to and and lean on and and ask for more from, and those are the guys he has to do it. He did it in New York too, and obviously he did it in Vancouver, and it worked, and he's doing it here. They're responding, and and I think it's created a culture of accountability that – I really question if it existed in the last couple of years in Philadelphia. Yeah, my concern is that when you have to go to that level of accountability in November and December, what happens when you get to March and April? Well, you got to get to the playoffs before you can try to win in the playoffs, right? So yeah. they're right there. So one other thing going on right now, it's the all-star fan voting for the captains. So before we sign off this week, let's give ours. We agree. With Connor McDavid in Edmonton for the Pacific and Nathan McKinnon, we agree on that one too for the Central. I've got if anybody's voting for anybody other than those guys, yeah. except for maybe maybe the teammate in Edmonton and Yeah, like now you got to vote for McDavid. 
Yeah. Got, he, what he's done is unbelievable. Yeah, you got to vote for McDavid. And McKinnon has just carried them with all with the injuries that they've had for the Avalanche. But I have Brad Marchand in the Atlantic Division. And the, uh, look, he deserves it. He's been terrific uh, production-wise. But I think it would be a lot of fun if Brad Marchand was a captain at the All-Star Game. Oh, it'd be unbelievable. But even better is the guy we spent half the podcast talking about, Pasternak. Well, he'd like, be good, too. Yeah, they're, they're, He's got one of the best personalities in the league. You could do co-captains. It'd be, it'd be a big Bruins flavor. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, look, I don't think you can go wrong with either one of those guys. And then I know in the Metro... You went old school. Uh, Alex Ovechkin. Understandable. His time's come. His time's gone. I want him let's, to be there. Let's bring. Yeah, of course. You want the best players to be there. John Carlson. All right. I mean, look, John Carlson obviously is having a terrific year. We touched on that with Hal Gill, but, man, it's Alex Ovechkin. He's having another good year. I want him to be there. I hope he gets to be the captain. Everybody gets to have their say. That's the beauty of the NHL and of a <laughs> democracy. So go vote. Uh, you got a couple weeks left to vote, and then the captains will be named, and then the player, the teams will be named after that. We did a little exercise on NHL.com last week. It was one of our most trafficked uh, items of the week. I did not know that. When we uh, picked our full all-star teams as soon as the ballots came out, actually before the ballots came out to spur some people to go vote, a um, lot of interesting picks, and... You know, we'll see what happens after these captains are named, and we'll probably revisit it yeah. in case things have changed a little bit. And I did it in my weekly mailbag as well. Picked all the teams, so lots of plugs here on the NHL After Ring Podcast. And that'll do it for this week for us. So thank you so much for listening. And, Sean, thank you so much for co-hosting again. I'm flabbergasted. Uh, well, I'm flattered to be sitting next to you. I'm going out for a really fancy dinner tonight. Christmas salad? Maybe. <laughs> a little <laughs> Christmas salad on the side? <laughs> All right, that'll do it. Thank you so much for listening, and enjoy the games.